0: Well, good morning, collective. Good morning. I uh, man, I love your church. I love this church, this group of people, and this is the first time that I have been in this building, which is just incredibly gorgeous, and your kids' space, especially you come through those soundproof doors, look to the left, and just this picture of, it's just, it's, it's incredible. It's just an incredible space you get to meet in. You guys used to meet in our space. This is a huge upgrade, so like celebrate that. Um, it, I, I really do mean that I have an affinity for your church. When you're a pastor and people come to your church, you, you invite them to stick around. I know that you all are thinking probably regularly about, hey, first-time visitors, second-time, third-time visitors. And there comes a point where people, you know, come to our church, and some of those people stick uh, they hang around, they get connected, but some people just go, hey, you know what, maybe the commute's too far, or maybe we have gifts that don't necessarily fit in, and we always say, hey, if, if you don't fit in here or if this doesn't work for you, let's recommend a church for you to check out next, and the church we always recommend is collective. It's the first place that I recommend people go to, so um, we really, I really do love you guys. I'm so excited to be here with you this morning. We're going to hang out a little bit in the Old Testament this morning. So if you brought a Bible, woo for the Old Testament, uh, if you brought a Bible, we're going to be Exodus chapter 20 is where we're going to hang out. Uh, You guys are in a series called Oddity, where you have been wrestling with the the Jesus sort of outside of the boundaries that we typically draw, right? Jesus exists outside the boxes that we often put Jesus in. And this morning, we're going to focus a lot on the boxes by drawing ourselves all the way back to the Old Testament, specifically the giving of the Ten Commandments. When God's people have been rescued from Egypt, they're now at the Moses is now at the top of the mountain meeting with God and receiving the law of God to be written down. You ask most Americans about the Ten Commandments, they have familiarity with them. You ask them to name all ten, and about 6% of Americans can actually do that. The most commonly or popularly named 10 commandment, you shall not murder. Our country, we're we're real quick to go, no murder, no stealing, no lying. But the commandment I want to dive into today is a commandment that when I was young, I wasn't even sure was a commandment. And so it's in Exodus chapter 20, we're going to read verses 1 through 6. In this, you'll see two commandments, but you might not initially pick up that there's two there. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. And God spoke all these words, saying, So God is speaking, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. Steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. When I was a child, I remember learning about the Ten Commandments, but I didn't really understand that there was a difference between the first and the second commandment. You may have noticed it or not noticed it as we read that text, that you see the first commandment laid out right there in verse 2, and then at the end of verse 2, you see this, or into verse 3, you see this second commandment that's given, and they both seem to deal with idolatry. And so you read Exodus 20, 1 through 6, and you get it. God says, no idols, and then God says, no idols, And those feel kind of like one thing. So are there two commandments here or one? Well, there are two. And let me help you see the difference between the two of them. The first thing that God says in Exodus 20, right? He says, this this is, I have delivered you. I have rescued you. Now you're gonna live right with me. You wanna learn to love me well and love your neighbor well. Here are these commands. The first, you shall have no other gods before me. God says that the, the central thing in your life Life, the most important thing in your life, the thing that you worship, it must be me and nothing can be before me. God begins by saying, no false worship of other gods. No worship of false gods. And then verse, verse, uh, verse 4, you should not make yourself a carved image. God says, "If in the first commandment is, no worship of false gods. The second commandment is, no worship of God Falsely. Do do you see the difference there, right? One is about worshiping other gods before God, and one is about worshiping God in the wrong way. No worship of false gods, no worship of God falsely. As God is meeting with Moses and giving him this command, Israel is down the mountain, and they're literally breaking this command as God is giving it. What have they begun to do? Some of you know the story, some of you don't. They have gotten a little tired. They've been rescued, but Moses has been taking a long time coming back. So they've decided to take off their jewelry and their earrings. They've decided under Aaron's lead to melt it down and to form it into a golden calf. And they begin to declare that this golden calf is the God who rescued them from Egypt. Now, when people hear this story, what you, you kind of go, wait, I don't understand. Israel was the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had freed them from ec- the Exodus, right? Freed them from Egypt, and then they, they knew Moses was meeting with God, so then they decided to make another God? No, that's not what they're doing. What they're doing is they're attempting to worship God, the God who saved them, right? They attempt to worship that God, but not in the way God wants to be worshipped. Rather, they want to form a God themselves that they can then worship. They weren't trying to worship another God. They were trying to worship God, but in the wrong way. In this case, by forming an image, a calf that, that, that would that they would look at and they would ascribe as, oh, you're the one who rescued us and saved us. The second commandment is clear. We are commanded to worship God as God is, not as we want God to be. And so they carved this image Right? And and God is livid about this. He's giving Moses the commands, and at the same time, they are down there worshiping and ascribing the attributes of God to an, a statue that they have built. Who you matter, who you worship really matters, and how you worship really matters. Why? Because God is jealous. Now, jealousy is not something we think about as a great ideal characteristic for us, right? Nobody wants a jealous boyfriend, a jealous girlfriend, right? We, when, someone, when you hear someone's got real jealousy issues, we see that as a negative thing. But for God, God is described as jealous. So what does it mean? We even sing a song, right, where we say, he is jealous for me. And we sing that like it's a positive thing. Well, why? Because it is a positive thing. The reason that we think jealousy is bad is because it means that we often want something that doesn't belong to us. But everything belongs to God. And God has made us. And as God has made us, He's made us for Himself. And so for God to be jealous for us, to want us to worship him in the right way, is for God to want us to receive what it is that we have been made for. If you you are married and you're the kind of husband or wife who doesn't want your spouse to be unfaithful to you, that's a kind of jealousy that we all think is good and right. Right? God is concerned that as they make this golden calf, that they will miss out on him by doing that. That they'll miss out on on him and what he has for them if they settle for the calf that they have created. What's What's the big deal with the calf? Why is the calf an issue? Well, because when you create a golden calf, you now have a God that you can control, right? A pocket-sized God that you can carry around. A God that you can sort of ascribe any characteristics you want to it. And you take the unfathomable riches of God and you sort of deduce it down to this statue that you made. The Bible says that God made us in his image, The Israelites were returning the favor, recreating God in their own image, what they wanted God to be like and look like. And so when we hear this, I think most of us think, I mean, I haven't done this. right?" Has anybody spent any time this week carving out images of God? Like, do any of you have golden calves at home that you said, enough with Jesus, I'm going to make a pocket-sized Jesus that I can go put on the shelf somewhere? Do do any of you, have any of you this week said, you know what, I really, I want to just create my own God and put it up in my house. I'm Christian, that's what we do. No, most of us are like, we don't do this, we're good. We're in the clear. But like the other commands, We break this one too, not with our hands, but with our hearts. We break this commands inside. So let's press into this. You have a tendency to worship your own image of God. God, as you imagine him to be, God as you want him to be. Because we really like our own ideas and images of God. See, we haven't, none of you have melted earrings this week and built golden calves, but you may have become comfortable with an image of God that isn't actually God. And remember, the second command is about worshiping God as God is, not as we want God to be. So we have to understand that we have a tendency of breaking this, Commandment, because we have a tendency of liking our own ideas about God more than God Himself. God has revealed the fullness of His character in Scripture. And yet, many of us prefer to ignore the parts of God that we find difficult or confusing and live instead with our own conception of who God is. Imagine for a second you had a friend. And, um, and she was in love with, uh, with a man who she knew was going to ask her to marry him. So they go out to dinner one night, and she can sense that the conversation is heading into the direction where he's doing the thing where, hey, if I, he's trying to figure out, if I asked you to marry me, would you say Yes right, because no guy really asks a woman to marry him until he's pretty sure that she's going to say yes, because it's just one of the worst things ever if that goes wrong, right? So he's trying to get a feel for, is she going to say yes, I want to marry, is she going to say yes? And she realizes that he's kind of asking questions about the ring, maybe about their future together, and she, she realizes that they haven't been together very long, but she's in love. She just knows that there's some things that she needs to tell him, right, before they get married. So as he's talking, she stops him and she says, look, I can kind of see where this is going. But before you go any further, I just want to tell you, I I really do love you. I really am excited about our future, but there are some things about you I've got got to share with you. And he goes, wait, what? And she goes, there's just some things about me that I just want to be honest with you about if we're going to have a relationship together. And he says, here's the deal. Um, I'd appreciate it if you just took all those things you're thinking about right now and you just buried them. And she goes, well, no, what do you mean? Like, you don't understand? Like, I, I kind of want you to know who I am. And he says, no, you don't understand. I really like who you are in my mind right now. And I just have no interest in getting to know anything else because I just like you just as you are right now. And she says... I mean, okay, but like there, there's a couple things that I, I just feel like you need to know this, like, about who I am in my history, in my past. And he says, stop it. Just know I, we're good. This is the boundaries. This is it. In my mind right now, I love you this way. Please, I don't want you to change that. Just stick with that. This is the woman I want to ask to marry me. So let's just leave all that. And she calls you and she tells you the story. And she says, I don't know. I'm starting to have some hesitations. You think I should marry this guy? We all go, no, (laughs) no, do not marry him. Why? Because he doesn't actually love you. He loves his idea of you more than he loves you. And, And my fear is that we do the same thing with God, right? That we say, God, I love you, not as you are, but as I want you to be. I like my idea of you more than you. We can't say no to the parts of God's character that we don't like. God is not a menu. God is a person. The great theologian, thinker, writer, author, J.I. Packer says that we ought to never say, I like to think of God as... He said, we'd never say that. Never say, I like to think of God as. Because God has revealed himself. And we can know who he is. And we start to say, I like to think of God as, we are in danger of breaking the second commandment. Creating God rather than receiving God as God is. Worshiping the God of our own imagination rather than worshiping God as he's presented himself to us. We... Photoshop God. We don't carve images. We don't have golden calves. But we like the safe God. The agrees with me God. The never embarrasses me God. The wants to keep me comfortable God. The loving God but not righteous God. The merciful God, but not the just God. The heaven God, but not the hell God. We gotta pick and choose. We we want a God who will react to the problems in the world, but we often don't want a God who is sovereign over the things in the world. God, we'll take your reaction, but we'll reject your sovereignty. We'll take your blessing, but we will reject the suffering. We'll take the systemic sin, but we'll reject the personal sin. We have a God who often likes everyone that we like and hates everyone that we hate. We Photoshop God. And the second commandment is all about not editing God, but worshiping God as God is. The Bible teaches that we are made in God's image and we point people to God. When people interact with you, when you interact with your children, when you interact with your parents, with your friends, with your coworkers, when they interact with you and they know that you are Christian, you point them to God. Here's my question, is the God you point them to the real God or is it a god of your own creation? This matters because you point people to God. So, so parents, you get to show your kids what God is like, who, who God, what God really is like, by putting on display the whole character of God. Children, this matters, when you're relating to your parents, especially your unbelieving parents. Neighbors, this matters. You call yourself a Christian. You interact with your neighbors. They look to you because they want to know what God is like. You're not God. You're not called to be God. You are called to point people to God, the God who is, not the God of our imagination or creation. We all point others to God. Now, here's a question. Is it wrong to want an image of God? The answer is no. It's not wrong to want an image of God. If if you read the scriptures, there's no place in scripture where it says it's wrong to want to have an image of God, where it's wrong to want to see God. Moses, at one point, asked God, God, I want to see you. Let me see you. And, And God says, you can't see me. You can only see the place where I was, and that enough will overwhelm you. But the desire to want to see God is not a bad thing. The desire to want an image of God is not not a bad thing. For us to create that image is a bad thing. Because if there was no image of God at all, then God would merely be an abstract idea. Because it's right that you and I, we desire to know God. We, we We want to know that God is near to us. We want to, to be in a relationship. We, we want to believe that God knows what pain and suffering looks like. It's right for us to want to desire an image, just wrong to be the creator of that image. And then God does something for us that's incredible. In Colossians 1.15, in the New Testament, we discover a passage, a passage that's all about Jesus. This is what it says in Colossians 1.15. He, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image we long for. Do you want to know what God is like? Look to Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God. Or as Hebrews 1.3 says, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus is the exact representation of God's being. He fulfills the second commandment. We are called not to create an image of God. God reveals himself, gives us an image. That image is Jesus. Jesus is exactly what God looks like. He shows us exactly what God looks like. We get, Moses just gets to see the place where God was. We get Jesus. And then we edit him too. We do. We edit him too. That's what this series is about, right? That's what the Oddity series is all about. That that Jesus exists outside the boxes that we've tried to build for him. Right? Some of you are here this morning and you've been worshiping therapeutic Jesus. Right? His central goal is to make you feel better. That's what, that's what it's all about. Christian Smith in the late, early, late, early 1990s coined a term, uh, moralistic therapeutic deism, to describe the state of the American Christian today moralistic, therapeutic deism. You probably have heard the term. He said Christians, right, they, they're, Americans are moral. They have a God who says this is right, this is wrong, therapeutic to make them feel better when they're in their time of need, and then deism far away, not really active in the world. And we worship therapeutic Jesus. He wants to make us feel better. The real Jesus wants primarily to bring you into his kingdom. Or some of you are here this morning, and you worship happy-go-lucky Jesus. He avoids pain. This is honestly, this is my biggest struggle. This is the Jesus that I create, that I most struggle with. Is this Jesus, right? When I open, turn, read the newspaper, or, or, or open social media, and you see something terrible happening, and then people go, "Man, what do you think of that awful thing that's happening in the world?" And my response is like, "Man, God just—he has this in His control." He's got it. It's all going to be fine. It's all going to work itself out. Romans eight twenty eight. All things work together for good, right? That's my posture. And, and it sounds holy and it sounds Christian, but the reality is often I do that because I want to avoid pain. And so I have a view of Jesus that's just like, oh, everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. The real Jesus doesn't avoid pain. The real Jesus moves into pain. Moves into our pain, gets closer to the pain in people who we love their lives. The Jesus you worship, does he move into pain or does he avoid pain? Happy-go-lucky Jesus. Or what about safety Jesus? Safety Jesus is real common, right? Safety Jesus keeps you comfortable above everything else. That's what he wants the most, to keep you safe and comfortable. The real Jesus is not primarily interested in your comfort, but rather interested in making you holy. And that means calling you to go and to do things that are not going to be deemed safe, right? The old quote about Aslan the lion in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Is he safe? No, he's not safe, but he's good. God is not safe, but he's good. In our culture, we kind of worship the idolatry of safety, right? You buy a car seat. I have four kids, so we buy a car seat a lot. And then every two years, we're told that the last one we bought is essentially a death trap (laughs) and must be replaced. It's just constant. Safety, Jesus keeping you comfortable. No, I don't know that I need to go and have that conversation. No, I I don't think I need to go serve in that place because it would be unsafe. I'm not saying that Jesus isn't wise, but his interest is making you holy, not keeping you comfortable. Or how about upward mobility Jesus, right? Amazon Prime Jesus, right? Worship me on Sunday and then get all your needs satisfied through the click of a button Monday through Saturday. Keep up with the Joneses, Jesus, right? Your friend, your neighbor bought that thing. You should get that thing too. You know, a bunch of you are, are gonna struggle with this Jesus when like the new iPhone comes out, right? Your first temptation will not be to stop and say, wait, should I buy that? But of course I'm gonna buy that. Like that's, it's important to me. I'd argue that, that upward mobility, Jesus, calls us not to ever think that buying things is going to fill our needs, but instead sometimes simplifying our lives is the way of the cross. Or how about, how about judge Jesus? Kind of like Judge Judy, right? And judge Jesus, it's, he's, on your, he's, he's on your side. He's next to you. And he is after your enemies. He is going to condemn them, judge them, right? He's on your team. And so you turn to Jesus and say, get him, Jesus. Get those people. Only to realize that the real Jesus turns to you and says, you also have sin that needs to be dealt with. We, we always, do you, do you notice as Christians how often we are easy on ourselves and hard on others? It would be much more wise for us to be hard on ourselves and easy on others. Or how about Guru Jesus? He's got love. You like his love, you like his teachings. Man, he just has lots of love. He's so filled with love, so filled with good teachings. The real Jesus is love and also does teach but is interested not in just your optional interest into his will and his ways, but asks you and invites you into a relationship that includes both worship and obedience. Outside of these walls, our culture really likes Guru Jesus until you begin to say that Jesus claims to be the king and to be Lord over your life. And the closer you get to the real Jesus, the more you will either want to crown him as Lord or crucify him for the command that he says he has over our lives. Or how about Savior, but not Lord Jesus, right? Jesus, save me from my sin, but I'm gonna to continue to be Lord of my own life. Imagine for a second that you invited me over to your, your house, and you said, hey, here's the deal. Um, uh, so so uh, Trevor DeBenning, that's my name, and you said, hey, the, the Trevor part of you can, can come to my house, but you have to leave the DeBenning part at the door. But, like, the Trevor part can come in, but the, De, the DeBenning part's got to stay outside. I would say... Look, you can't just have part of me. You have to have all of me or else you'll have none of me. If we say we want Jesus as our Savior, we also have to receive him as our Lord. He is Savior because he is Lord. And he is Lord, which makes him our Savior. Or genie Jesus exists to make our wishes come true rather than the real Jesus who wants to bring glory to the father or loan shark Jesus. He saves you, right? He saved you, but now you owe him. And so you're going to hope to do as much as you can, be a good person, so that at the end of the day, you can stand before him and say, hey, look, I paid you back. Some of us, that's our posture before God. Yeah, Jesus, you saved me to give me a second chance. And with that second chance, I did a good job. And so now here I am standing before you saying, Look, I've paid you back. And the real Jesus doesn't say, Pay me back. The real Jesus on the cross says, It is finished. You don't owe me. You can't pay me back. None of those Jesuses that we worship are real. None of them can satisfy. None of them can save. But do you know who can? The real Jesus. The real Jesus saves you from all the false Jesuses you are tempted to worship. And he's here this morning. He's not far away. He's here. He's closer than your next breath, and he's pursuing you. And he wants to fulfill you from the empty promises of the Jesus you've created. He wants to save you from the Jesus that you've made. He wants to call you into an adventure with him. He wants to break those of you who have hard hearts this morning. He's come this morning. He wants to break your heart. He wants to break your heart this morning if your heart is hard. And if you're here this morning and your heart is broken, he wants to heal it. If you're you're here this morning and you realize, oh, I've been worshiping a Jesus that isn't real. The real Jesus is here to save you. He's here to rescue you. He wants to quench the thirst that you have from pursuing a God of your own making. Because Jesus, the real Jesus, is not a figment of our imagination. The real Jesus is alive. And life with him is better than you could possibly imagine. So, so many of you this morning, you have been carrying around a fake God You have been worshiping a Jesus of your own creation, which has made you feel comfortable and safe as you've carved an image, not with your hands, but with your heart and with your mind. And you feel a sort of desperate emptiness, and you want to know, is there something more, something greater, something more fulfilling? And the answer is yes, Jesus is alive, and the real Jesus saves you from all of the others. Out of love for you, Jesus gave everything so that you might be in right relationship with God. So here's what we're going to do this morning together. I want you to reflect on what we've said. And then here's what I want to do. I want together for us to, to let go of the gods we have made and run this morning into the arms of the God who made us. To worship God this morning as God is, not as we prefer him to be. To acknowledge that, Lord, we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. We have created versions of you that aren't real. And what we want this morning and every day from here on out, we want you as you really are. We want to make you first and foremost in our lives, and we want to worship you as you are, not as we want you to be. That when God looks on us, he would find a people bowed down, not before something we've made, but before the God who is, the God who made us, the God who loves us, the God who pursues us. So I hope this morning that you came into this space prepared to repent, to turn, to acknowledge, I do this, I worship this kind of Jesus, and that we might in prayer together surrender those false conceptions of Jesus, and we might this morning meet the real one who's alive and is here and is good. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.